Good morning, everyone. How are you doing with this whole thing about being munificent? That was a non-response. How munificent have you been this week? Some are thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about. And uh, if I answer the wrong, it's going to look funny. But no, munificent. We've been, we're in this series called Munificent. And munificent literally means exceedingly, exceptionally generous. So the question is, how generous have we been this week? How, how have we exercised what God has given me? Actually, Sam, could I ask you to put the first, I think it's the first slide of that last song we just sang. Can you put that back up for me on the screen? There's a line here, when it comes, um, that talks about there is no more for heaven now to give. There's nothing left in heaven that is not available to us. That's amazing. That's like the, the, the best thing that you could ever Think about, because you know what happens in heaven? You're very quiet. Do you know who lives or who's part of heaven or lives in heaven, whose kingdom it is? And do you know that in heaven, the streets are paved with gold? Do you know that the temple's gates are made with a single pearl? And do you know that everything in heaven has been given and available to us? We are the most blessed people in the universe. So I ask you again, how munificent have you been this week? Because you've been entrusted with everything and God has made available everything in heaven for you and I to take advantage, full advantage of. Now, I don't know whether we understand the full ramifications of that. I don't, I don't know whether we, we get just how exceptionally generous God has been to us. But Genesis 1 tells us that we've been created in his image, that we have uh, been created with the very breath of God in us. And like father, like son, like father, like daughter, we should be exceedingly generous. And this word munificent, as I said, means to be exceedingly generous. And throughout this series, we've been talking about what it means to be exceedingly generous with what God has given us. And if he's given us all of heaven, nothing more to give. Our time, our resources, our gifts, possessions, our family, everything God has given to us. And if we have been given, we should be willing to be generous because we've been entrusted to those things. And the scriptures tell us that it is God who gives us everything that we need. And he gives according to our ability to use them and to be generous with them. So if if you are feeling that, you know what, it's, I just can't get enough or there's, there's not enough in my life to be able to be generous with, well, maybe 
Maybe it's that we need to be a little bit more generous with what we have and not being looking for some extra things. It's God who gives them to us. Philippians 4 tells us that it's this same God who takes care of me and he will supply all your needs from, where does it come from? His glorious riches. He will supply all my needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to all of us in Christ Jesus. He has given us everything from his glorious riches. He delights in giving us good things. He delights in providing for us. The only way that we can ensure that we are on the receiving end of all of God's glorious riches of what heaven has for us is to have a relationship with him. It's to be in a deep relationship, intimate relationship with our heavenly father that's real and personal. And and today I, I want to talk about this issue or this topic of being munificent with our finances. And I know that in church circles, finances are one of those topics you think, oh, here we go again. But we have everything. We have the very streets of heaven available to us. We have more than we need and yet God gives us more than we need. He gives us everything that we have and needs. And when we talk about being munificent in our finances, Christian financial stewardship means our money. It means it's, it's not just that our money is our money because it's not. What we're talking about is being a steward with God's money. And if God has everything and, he, and he's given us the stewardship role of that, then we have nothing to worry about. It's like we've been given access to do what we believe God wants us to do with all of that he has. We can be generous with that because that's what he wants us to be. And we need to understand that from the very first verse in the scriptures that we, we see the foundation of, of stewardship because stewardship is is really about not owning anything, but it's being given the responsibility. The steward is given a responsibility to take care of what has been entrusted to them. And we are God's stewards. And from the very first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1.1 tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the first verse of the scriptures. It lays the foundation for the fact that God owns everything. In the beginning, he created everything, the heavens and the earth. That's all the verses we need to understand that we have everything to be grateful to him for. Thank you, Lord, because he's given us everything that we need. And he created everything. God created everything that exists. And as creator, He owns everything that exists. It's his. He's never relinquished the ownership of any of those things. In the beginning, from the beginning of the scriptures in Genesis until the end of what we know will happen, God 
has never relinquished that and he reigns. But what he has done, has, he has given us a responsibility. In Deuteronomy 10 verse 14, it says, look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it, they all belong to the Lord your God. They're his. And all heaven has been given to us. All of it. And so I, today I want to look at two scripture passages or two places in scripture where the issue was about finances and, and it was really the centre of attention in much of Jesus' ministry. He talked about money more than anything else, actually. And so what both of the passages that we're going to read this morning will show us is that the amount of money that you and I have or, or perhaps don't have has nothing to do with how generous we should be with our finances. It's not about the fact that you've got excess. It's not the fact that you've got more, that you can be more generous. It's not about that. And the first passage that we, need, we read is coming from Luke chapter 19. And I want to read this story. And you, you're familiar with it. I'm sure you are. But it says, Jesus entered, Luke 19, 1 entered Jericho and made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus and he was a chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. Keep hold of that phrase. He had become very rich. And he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. He said, Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And so Zacchaeus climbed down and he took Jesus to his house in great excitement, but the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. And meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I've cheated any people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who were lost. That's Luke 19. Flipping over to chapter 21, we read another story. And it tells us in Luke 21, verse 1, it says, While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts into the collection box. And then a very poor, a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus but she, poor as she is, has given everything that she has. Two passages quite contrasting in some way. But the first point, if you're filling out sermon notes either online, if you've got a, a device that you're doing that out or paper copy, the first point is wealth has nothing to do with how generous we should be or nothing to do with generosity. It doesn't matter how much we have. In fact, we read right there in chapter 21 of a woman 
who has very little, who as Jesus is saying is being the most generous. And it stands in direct comparison to what we read in Luke chapter 19, where Zacchaeus, he had become very rich. Jesus made the statement that this woman, she was the one who had given more than all of the others, to which highlights this principle that our giving has nothing to do with how much we have. It's not about whether your bank account looks really healthy or it doesn't look much at all. It's about our attitude to what we have. It's about recognising that we are stewards of what God has entrusted to us. And when our attitude is that what I have is mine and mine to keep and and I can share it if I feel obligated to share it, the the more that I share, the more that I feel I need to be recognised, the more that's going to come back and think, you know what, why don't people know how much I give? Why, Why don't people respect me? Why don't people understand that, you know what, I I sacrifice for this place. That's what will happen if we realise or we think that what we have is ours to keep. And that attitude is the same whether we're going to be talking about finances or time, gifts, resources, anything. It's, as if it's that same attitude. And when, when I give or I give because I have to or it's expected of me, typically it's not too long before some resentment creeps in and we become a little bit more inward looking when that happens. And it happens not just in, in our society, it happens even in the church. Often the response is something like, oh, the the church always wants my money or the church shouldn't be asking for money because it's God who's going to supply. If they really trusted God, he would give them all that they need. They're normally the kinds of things. I've had people even leave our church over those statements. And the problem is that while we, we need to be recognising that that it's God who gives, that we may be generous even if we don't recognise that. And we can be exceptionally generous even if we don't realise that because we have surplus or appear to be exceptionally generous. We need to have the right attitude and to have the right attitude with those things is rare. To have the right attitude that we can be generous with a good motive, it doesn't matter what we have, that's rare. But it's that rare attitude that we should have as Christians every single time. That's the attitude that's going to shine a light on Jesus Christ. That's the attitude, the rare attitude that sets us apart from the rest of our society. It's that rareness that we do those things that directs people to the throne of grace because 
rather than our attitude of, of seeing things of what is mine, is mine to keep, it's mine for my sake, our attitude ought to be what we talked about in Romans 11 where it says everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. Everything comes from him, exists by his power and is intended for his glory. That's what it's for. All glory to him. All glory to our heavenly father. Everything comes from him. So everything belongs to him. So what I have is not really mine to keep or for mine to do what I want to do with it because he has been exceedingly generous, munificent in giving me more than I need, but everything I need. And I have no reason to be selfish with that. So when we're asked to be generous with, in regards to our finances and for everything else that, for that matter, God is speaking to us to be generous with what belongs to him. He's saying, look, I'm just going to give this to you, but I want you to give it out. I want you to be generous with it. God is asking us to be generous with what belongs to him. And he gives us the ability to produce wealth from the means that he has entrusted to us. Deuteronomy 18 says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. That's interesting, isn't it? He is the one who gives you power to get wealth so that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. He is the one who has given us the power to get the wealth that we need in order to live. The intelligence, the abilities, the health, the, the physical needs that happen, he's given them to us. And he is the one who is asking us to be exceedingly generous and generous in how we give. It's not about the amount. It's not about the amount. It's not a, a, a dollar figure for us. It's about the faith that we have in God to provide. When this woman who, who lays these or puts these two coins into the offering box at the temple puts those two coins, Jesus recognises that this is all she's got. What's going to give her enough money then to buy food for the next day? And that's what Jesus' point is. She's given everything that she's got because she trusts in God to provide her for the next day. How do we live like that? How do we come to that point? There's another wonderful example which I will read in 1 Kings. It says in 1 Kings verse 8, the word of the Lord came and saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have given... Oh, sorry, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. 
And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks and he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in the cup that I might drink. And as she was going to get it, he called out to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand as well. And so she said, as the Lord of your God lives, I do not have any bread, only a handful of flour in the bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I might go in and prepare for myself and my son that we might eat and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterward make some for for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor the jar of oil run out until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. And so she went away and she did according to the word of Elijah and and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord which was spoken by Elijah. This last meal never became a last meal. It's the principle of trusting the Lord for what he will bring. Second point, if you're filling out notes, true salvation results from being extreme, sorry, results in extreme generosity. True salvation results in extreme generosity. And as we read the story of Zacchaeus, we find that. We find that he was completely opposite in regards to his financial wealth. He would have been perhaps one of the rich people that was putting in out of the surplus that Jesus talked about with the woman. And the scriptures tell us that he was very rich. He became very rich. And the likely way that he became very rich was by swindling his own people out of their money. That's why tax collectors, they're probably still not liked very much, but they were hated for that purpose. He was a Jew. Zacchaeus was a Jew. And he was employed by the Roman government to collect taxes on their behalf. And what the tax collector, sorry, what the government uh, wanted was their tax that was allocated, but they did not care whether the tax agent or the tax collector uh, pulled more or just so long as it wasn't less. So if you were taxed $50, Zacchaeus or the tax collectors could ask for $80. He would get paid by the government for his job, but he would also collect the extra $30 to keep and they couldn't do anything about it. They were hated people. He'd swindled his own people out of money. He was responsible for collecting the taxes. And as a result, tax collectors were not very well liked. And you get that sentiment as you listen to the story of Jesus' encounter with him because the people in Luke 19.7 says the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of this notorious sinner. He's a thief. He's a robber. He's taking what doesn't belong to his. But then Jesus turns up in in Zacchaeus' life. Jesus shows up. 
He's walking under the tree that Zacchaeus is sitting up in. And, and something happened, something changed in Zacchaeus at that moment in time because we read these verses after Jesus has gone back to the home. He says, this is Zacchaeus, I'll give half my wealth to the poor, half my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, which he will have on their taxes, I'm going to give them four times more back than what I cheated them. Four times more. That's not even the, the ruling or the, the requirement from a Jewish was only two. Here he is. When Jesus enters into Zacchaeus' life, this spirit of generosity just pours out. It just manifests itself right before Jesus himself and his heart changes. And when Jesus shows up in our life, our heart changes. That's why the world doesn't understand. That's why the, the, those who do not have this relationship with Jesus Christ cannot understand how we could be so generous and not run out and not be wanting for things or needing for things. No longer is it about what I can get and what I can keep, but how much can I give? How much can I share? And I need to make it right if I've messed up. When Jesus shows up in my life, in our life, it changes the way that we think. True salvation. Jesus says in Luke 19 he, to what Zacchaeus had just said, salvation has come to this home today. Salvation was a result of, well, his generosity was because salvation had come to him. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, generous of spirit. And that's the key for us. The evidence of a changed heart for him was the changed behaviour. And that's one of the, the most simplest of things or simplest of, of ways that we can know if Jesus has really impacted somebody. Our heart changes, our motives changes, the, the response changes. There's a, there's a sacrifice willing to be giving Many people have said that they've given their heart to Jesus, but there's no heart change. There's no change in their attitude. There's no motivation to do anything different. We want a foot in both camps. We want to have the salvation, but we also want to make sure that we're not missing out on what we're being offered from a world perspective. Our lifestyle has to change. Our desire to follow Jesus needs to change. There are people who claim to have Jesus in their life, but, but we're consumed with, with things of the world economy. Getting more, having more, working three or four jobs just so that I can put food on my table. I just want to live my life so that I don't have to worry about when the bills come in. That's the way we are focusing or, or contributing to the world economy. We chase after what the world has to give and selfishly store up things for a rainy day for in case something goes wrong. And we store up treasures here on earth so that we can be comfortable with ourselves. Rather than investing in the kingdom of God, 
which means that we're actually revealing where our heart truly is because Jesus actually told us that. You know the story, but he says, where your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will be also. So we have this mentality in that process. So enough of the, enough of the pointing out the obvious. How can we be generous? How, how can we be munificent? How can we be generous? Because that's the way we're supposed to be. Those are the responsibilities, or that's the response we should have. So understanding that what we have is not our own is the beginning of that. It's understanding that what we have is given to us to be a good steward of. It's where we have a reality that what we have, we really just need to trust God that he's going to keep on providing, which he always does. He provides us in everything and for everything. So how can we actually demonstrate the love of God in our life. We, be, we can be generous. And how can we be generous? It's by being a good steward with what we have and doing what he wants us to do with what he's given to us to invest. The steward is someone who's been entrusted to look after the concerns of, of the owner. That's where we stand before God. So for us as Christ followers, we, we realise that we don't have our own time. time. Time has been given to us by God. Our health has been given to us by him. We can do things that impact those things, but we have health. If we look after ourselves, if we steward those things well, God will look after us. And until the point of time when he says, you know what? You've done what I've asked you to do. You've completed the task for which you've been given. Well done, good and faithful servant. Time to come home. And that could be when you're 20. That could be when you're 50. That could be when you're 130. I don't know too many that want to live that long. But you talk about Abraham and you talk about all these people of scriptures that talk about how much they were men and women of faith. How can we be generous? I think it starts with this. Bring the first and the best of our income to the Lord. Bring the first and the best. That means setting aside out of our income the first portion. This woman who put these two coins in, Jesus made this comparison. He said those who are giving lots, they're giving out of the surplus. They're giving what's left over. But this woman, she's giving us or giving from all that she has. So the, the principle for that right there is we, we should be setting aside whatever income we have in a financial setting, the first and the best. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in pressure or response to pressure. For God loves the person who gives cheerfully. That's not a replacement for the tithe, by the way. This is not what he's saying. You don't have to tithe anymore. It's, it's in addition to. So 
the, what we find in from an Old Testament to a New Testament transition is Jesus didn't eradicate the Old Testament. He actually said, I haven't come to do away with the law. I've come to fulfil the law. And what the, the purpose of tithing in the Old Testament was to give the right attitude. It was we had to give recognising this. Now in the New Testament, Paul is even saying, you need to decide what you're going to give. It's still the principle. One of the greatest areas of control that Satan has over us as Christ followers is in this area of finances. It's the one area that most of us struggle with. That's why we don't like to talk about it. It's why we don't like to hear about it. It's why we squirm in our chairs when things get spoken about it. That's why Jesus speaks so much about it, bringing the first and the best part of our income aligns with seeking first the kingdom of God. That's what it's about. And when we put him first, he will take care of the rest. Seek first, Matthew 6.33. We read it last week, but it says, seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously and he will give us everything that we need. And the principle of the tithe is so that we learn to trust God for those things that we need. No matter how much we have, if you've got $5 in your bank account, trust God. The problem, I mean, that's, that's probably a... You're going to regret what I'm about to say. Having $5 in your bank account may very well be a better place to be than having $5 million in your bank account. The reason for that is because I can guarantee that if you've got $5 in your bank account, you're going to rely on God. If you've got $5 million, you're going to rely on the money. And that's the problem. That's the problem. It's, it's because of the attitude of our heart when it comes to what we have. We don't need to rely on that. When we put him first, he will take care of the rest. It's also a way for us to give him control over those things when we are coming with that attitude. And he protects us from the evil of the attraction and the love of money that we read about as well. Because our enemy, Satan, he prowls around and he wants to distract us. He wants to use us. He wants to manipulate our thinking so that we deny God's power. And he will. So seek, put aside the first and best. Use finances wisely. As a steward, we, we really are responsible for our master's property. We're responsible for what God has given us. And as stewards of God's finances, we cannot afford to be wasteful or trite in the way that we deal with those things. He gives us what we need and to abuse that, to abuse the privilege of what God has entrusted to us is to trust or, or to treat his property with contempt and, and not be thinking much about it. So you know what, ah, I got it given to me, you can just have it. But we have to be wise. It's not like generosity is not just about just giving willy-nilly. We talked about that last week. 
It's not about just being wasteful with what we've got. We have to be wise stewards in this process. So what God, God has given us, it's, we don't say yes to everything that comes along. We have to be prayerful and mindful of the, what God is leading us in where to be and where to be generous because we're stewards. We, he expects that we will do well with what he's entrusted to us. Using his money on things like gambling and poker machines and raffle tickets and all those things, that's putting it at risk every single time. So it's, it's not really good management of, of putting money into things, hoping to get that back or more in return. That's why we, we've got to be really careful with how we use God's money because it's become so culturally acceptable to be doing those things. You get 20 bucks, chuck it in the pokies, or, or you've got an extra $5, let's go and buy a raffle ticket to see what we can get. And that's not the way that we should be wise with our finances. Gambling's not stewardship. It's not good management of money. Instead, it puts our master's money at risk. And even if gambling, gambling turned out to be beneficial in the, in the end result of that, in, in light of what it's doing to our society, it should be something that as Christ followers we should be standing against. It's ruining lives. Let's be confident of that to trust God that he will provide for us. Let's use our finances wisely. Paul talks to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5. He says, those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, which is what's happening some of the times, have denied true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Do you get that? He's talking to believers. And the thing is that even if somehow it was beneficial, it's, it's too easy to come under its control. I'm talking about gambling. It's too easy to be addicted. It's a trap that we're best to avoid. And using God's money in this way is a temptation to be irresponsible. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, uh, Paul reminds us that, he says, I'm allowed, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. And thirdly, guard your heart against greed in this process. How do we, how do we become generous? Guard your heart against greed because money has the potential to be addictive. I want more and more and more. We have The more we have, the more we want. The more we want, the more we'll go after it. And if we're not careful, our life will be about earning more and more money and, and we'll be thinking we're going to get more and more contentment and be more, more and more satisfied, but realistically that never happens. It's about trusting God. Paul warns, in, uh, warns us through Timothy or Paul talking to Timothy warns us to be careful of the trap that many fall into. He says, but people 
who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. So for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Be careful about that. And, and, and fourthly, get out of debt. I have a debt. I have a debt on my home. I know that. And I'm not telling you I've got all these things sorted out for myself either, but get out and stay out of debt. It's the world, the world's system promotes indebtedness. Easy money, free money, interest-free loans. You're indebted. And we become indebted to society very, very quickly. The mindset is, that complete, is the complete opposite to what the Scriptures tell us in being in debt because the Bible, the word God, uh, God's Word tells us that and calls the borrower a slave or a servant to the lender. We read it last week, I think, too, Proverbs 22. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is a servant to the lender. We, we come under the bondage of slavery when we're in that line. I know our society has caught us all up probably in all of this process, but get out and stay out of debt as quickly as you can. If you want help in that, you need to seek help. But the best advice I can give you is start with your smallest debts first. Just start with the small ones, get them paid out and the money you're putting into that, put into the next smallest debt on top of what your minimum payments are. And when you pay all that out, put all that onto the next one, just exponentially grow it. Get out and stay out of debt as soon as you can. Staying out of debt's not even easy because we're, prone to get back. You know what? I'd just pay that off. It doesn't matter. It's stay out of debt. Start by making a budget. Stick to it. Stay, pay off the debts in the right order. That can be especially hard when we're going through difficult times like we're going through at this moment in time. It might be slow, but make progress as quickly and as best you can. Don't go seeking after the things that God hasn't got for you. This will be the best thing that you can do to bring peace of mind to where you stand in our culture. And you know what? When we're not indebted to anything, it's easy to be generous, right? I'm not confined to anything. I don't have to worry about anything because, you know what? It doesn't matter. If the world economy just collapses, who cares? It doesn't matter to me. Interest rates go up, doesn't matter. It's not going to bother me. I'll have all these extra things to deal with. Psalm 37 says, the godly always give generous loans to others. Imagine that. Imagine being in such a position that they were coming to the church and say, can we borrow some money? The borrower becomes a slave to the lender. Imagine that. Generosity is at the heart of God. He has given us all of heaven has been given to us. 
We have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. It's his desire that we be as generous as we can possibly be to give because honestly, you and I cannot in all of our life here on earth ever outgive what God has given you. We just can't do it. It's not possible. How much money you have isn't what defines your ability to be generous or live generously. It's an attitude of our heart and that's the issue that God was de- Jesus was dealing with in the story of the widow. It's the attitude of the heart. So don't worry whether you've got nothing to give. I'm sure you have something. It doesn't matter whether it's five cents or five dollars or five hundred dollars or five thousand dollars. It's what we do with the attitude that we have. And I know God has blessed us as a church in our finances. This is not a message to say we need more money. But I do want us to be blessed because we're, we're generous. I want us to be a generous church. I want us to be able to give exceedingly generously to those who are genuinely in need. But above all, being generous with our finances, while it's an important aspect of our stewardship, it's not the whole of stewardship. It's not just finances. When stewardship is reduced to just financial giving, the richness of the biblical understanding of stewardship is reduced. When financial giving is magnified to to represent the whole of our generosity, we're missing 99.9% of Scripture. We're missing things. Next week, we're going to conclude this series. And I want to give you next week the most important thing in being generous. I want to give to you the the most wonderful way and the the most important aspect to being munificent next week. The very heart of being generous, the very heart of Christianity. What is it? You'll have to wait and see. But God is generous to us. And we have everything to be grateful to him for. So don't let how much you have determine how generous you are. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your wonderful gift of grace and mercy. I thank you that you have poured out on us such a wonderful opportunity for, for being generous to the world that is in darkness Father, you you have placed us under and in your wonderful light. You have placed your light in us. We became the light of the world when you entered into us. And Father, we should be showing the way of how that we might be able to be generous, but not only generous, successful. And and Father, rather than that, we we struggle. We, We get caught up in a world system that that seems to keep us in its grips. And the more that we 
the older we get, it seems the more that it happens. Hoping for some amazing magic formula to be poured out. But Father, you are the one that is the one that's in control. You are the one that controls everything. Because in the beginning, Lord, you made the heavens and the earth. And everything in it, the stars, the moon, the earth, Father, it tells us that you hold us, you uphold us in your strong right hand. You measure the universe with the span of your hands. You know the name as you, you place the stars in the sky. You named them and you know their names. You know the number of hairs that are on our head. You know our thoughts even before we think them. You know our coming and our going. You understand why we are like we are. You know our history. You know our background. You know the things that have impacted us. And Father, you love us. You've never left us nor forsaken us. Father, you are the one who is exceedingly generous beyond all measure. Help us, Father. Help us to grasp hold of even a small portion of your generosity that we might be a blessing not just to those in our fellowship, not just to those in the body of Christ, but to the entire world. So, Father, I pray for, for us. I pray for our congregation, for those who are in this building this morning, those who are watching online somewhere in this world. I pray that we might learn to understand what it is to be munificent with our finances so that we can be a blessing and that people will see the Lord Jesus Christ, that the glory will be to you because you are the one who enables us to achieve what is necessary in this world. Our very breath is coming from you. So, Lord, bless us and guide us and direct our path now. In Jesus' name, amen.